devil don't like what we're going to be preaching on this morning, but I just came by to let him know that he don't have any inheritance here. He don't have any memorial here. He don't have any right here. How many know that God's still in the saving business? God's still in the delivering business. God's still in the, in the business of setting people free this morning. Amen. And we're going to deal with that this morning, and I believe that God's going to set some people free this morning. Amen. I said, I believe that God's going to set some people free this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them. I know we're already running a little bit late this morning. Well, I guess, yes, kids' church can be dismissed at this time. What's age four to nine? If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn with me to the book of Judges. Judges chapter number 16. Amen. Judges chapter number 16, going to begin reading verse number 4. When you get there, if you'll just stand up for the reading of God's word. Amen. Judges 16, verse number 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the Lord of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. Look at your neighbor and tell him the enemy's purpose is to take your strength to bind you and to afflict you. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with the seven green withs that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green wits, which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with, with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the wits as a thread of tow is broken when it toucheth the fire, so his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with the new ropes, that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson, and there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber, and he brake them from off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou, thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. And she fastened it with a pin and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep and went away with the pin of the beam and with the web. Verse number 15, And she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast, told me wherein, has, has not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. 
went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. I want to stop right there and look back at verse number 19 for me. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. I want to preach to you for just the next six and a half hours on this thought. The lap of Delilah. Amen, the lap of Delilah. Help me pray. Father, we love you today. God, we just thank you, Lord, for your presence, God, that's in this place today, Father. God, we thank you, Lord, that we know, God, that you are the God of the impossible, that you're a God that has never lost a battle. And, God, we know that the enemy has no right here. He has no memorial here. And even though, God, he's come to try, try to thwart your plan for this service, God, we, we just rebuke him and we stand against him by the blood of Jesus. And, God, we know, God, that your will will prevail in this house today. Father, I'm absolutely nothing. God, I need your strength today. God, I need you to come, Lord, and to fill this mouth of clay today. Father, let the anointing of the Holy Ghost rest upon me, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The lap of Delilah is what I want to preach on just for the next few moments today. And, you know, there's a heaviness in this house this morning, and I, I kind of knew that there would be this morning because of this topic that we're dealing with, the topic of sin this morning. Because, you know, the enemy can tolerate a lot of things and is okay with us doing a lot of things, but there's one thing that he don't like is when an individual becomes set free from sin and begets, gets delivered from sin and comes to know Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. So it's not surprising unto me that he's fought this morning and tried his best to to not allow the Spirit of God to move in this place. But just again this morning, how many know that we serve a God that's never lost any battle today? We serve a God that's able to come and able to move and able to defeat the enemy and already has defeated the enemy. That's, that's the beautiful thing about this, Brother David, is that we serve, we serve a God that has already won the battle. We, the enemy has already lost. Amen? But as we look at this, as I believe there are some things that God wants us to look at today and some things we need to deal with. And as we look into this story of Samson and Delilah, but, you know, before we get into there, I just want to talk about a couple of things. And one, you know, one, one great problem in the world today, and not only just in the world, <clears throat> but in the, in the church world as a whole, is, is, is a problem of unbelief in the Word of God. You go throughout this, this country and you talk to people and you, you look at things and you see how, how people live and all these different types of things and people that name the name of Christ and then you look at the fruit in their life and you gauge it upon what the Word of God says and you can see no fruit in a life that, that claims to know this Christ. And, you know, people don't believe this Word of God and it has become something where they, they pick what parts they want to believe and if the parts they don't like, they leave those parts out. And, and one, one preacher put it this way, is that there's a lot of people in this world that want to just add Jesus to what they're doing and just add his name to the things that they do and somehow they think that's okay and that everything is fine. But as you read through this Bible, you find where men and women who truly begin to follow this Jesus and truly begin to follow after this Christ, they forsook everything. They put everything aside and nothing was more important than following this Jesus. It's the same old thing that happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when the serpent came to Eve and said, has, has God really said that? Did his word really say that? It's the same old scheme and the same old trick that he uses today at us. Did God really say that we must be holy in order to see the Lord? And people, people begin to question that and say, and then they'll try to rationalize it. Well, with God knows my heart and he knows my weaknesses and he knows my vices. No, what God knows is the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross and 
shed his blood, that he defeated every sin that would ever be committed, and there's victory over that sin today. That's what Jesus knows, and that's what we will be judged by is this very word of God and what it declares. People think that you can go through this life and serve this Jesus and don't, don't, and can throw out that scripture of, of where it says that if you don't forgive others, that he's not going to forgive you. And they say that, you know what, well, God knows my heart, and this individual that has wronged me owes me something, and, and they've done wrong to me, and they must come and make this thing right. And until they do, I will hold on to this bitterness and hold on to this anger. Well, my friend, listen, the Bible Bible declares that if you don't forgive other people, that God is not going to forgive you. It's not just a suggestion in the Word of God, but it is It is written in black and white, and it is there for us to see in, 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 in cases in red letters that we sang about this morning. But listen, this Word is true. Every, every word in it from Genesis to Revelation, God is going to use when we stand before Him in judgment. And we may, we may come up with our excuses, and we may say this, and we, we may say that, but God's going to open the book, and He's going to say, well, this is what my Word says. This is what I'm judging you by. So there will be no excuse when we stand stand before God and we have tried to twist this word and make it fit our lifestyle that we desire. Whether we believe in it or not, it's true. Whether we believe in it or not and want to live by it, it's true. If I don't forgive you and I have all against you and I die, I'm going to bust tail wide open because this word says that if I don't forgive, then I shall not be forgiven. I want you to know and understand this morning that this word is true. This word is, is there's, you can take to, you can, uh, I like to say you, if it says it, you can take it to the bank and write a check on it and make it and, and deposit that into the bank and write a check on it because if God's word says it, then it's going to come true. It's going to come to pass. So it's important that you and I get in this word and we understand it and we know it and we live by it. You know, we talk about a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, Brother David, you preached a great message on the, the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And, man, what a powerful message it was. It so stirred me that day that you began to talk about that. And, listen, there's, there's people out there that will tell you don't preach against those things and don't preach that God is a God of judgment and God is a God of wrath. But, and I'm, I've not necessarily come to preach that this morning. But, listen, we must preach the entire counsel of this word of God. We must preach that God is a God of love. I agree with that 100%. But we also must preach, Brother uh, Pastor Michael, that God is a God of judgment. God is a God of wrath, and if and He's going to bring His wrath upon those that have rejected them and lived in unrighteousness. As you spoke that one Sunday morning and preached that wonderful message on that, we must know and we must understand that the story of Samson here that we're looking at. The story of Samson and Delilah gives us a look into the lives of many that are in the church world today. On one hand, Samson is a mighty man, used of God, a judge and a deliverer of God's people a man that would perform miracles and whom God would give great strength to. He would anoint this man from time to time to do great feats and great miracles. On the other hand, on the outward, Samson looked the part of a godly man being a Nazarene from his birth and holding to a strict lifestyle that included a razor never touching his hair. He had to live separated from wine or any strong drink. He was held to a specific diet he was, to come, he was not to come near to any dead body, and if someone died in his presence, he would have to shave his head and go through a ritual and a ceremony to become clean again. He was to live a life of holiness and a very strict life on the outside is what Samson was supposed to live. But on the inside of Samson, he had a great struggle, a great struggle with sin. And if we were to look into the life of Samson, here's several things that we would find. As we've already talked about one time, we know that he was a Nazarene, which would mean separated unto God. He lived that strict lifestyle on the outside. If you read in Judges 13, you'll find that Samson was born for a purpose. 
He was born for a specific reason. The Bible says that 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 when he went to Sam, when God went to Samson's mother and told her told her that she was going to bear a son, that she said that he would be set apart for me. He would begin to deliver the the Israelite people from the Philistines. He was born for a purpose and born for the will of God and for a specific thing to do. And it's important to understand today that each of us under the sound of my voice today, Brother John Wayne, have been born for a specific purpose. God has a will for your life and has something that he is, he is, you, you were born for to do. You were born to do. It's something that nobody else can do. Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. God will raise up someone that his will will go forward and that his will will transpire in this earth. But God has called you for a specific purpose and a, a, a thing in life that you're supposed to do. There's a specific thing and a specific plan that God has for your life. We read it over in Jeremiah 29 and 11 that God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards each of us to give us, that he has a purpose for us and to give us an expected end. Another thing that we find about Samson is that he was to be a deliverer of the Israelites. He was a very whimsical man. We find out as we read and as we study his life, he was very whimsical. He chose to marry a woman who was a Philistine, which was the enemies of God, which God had strictly forbidden in his word to do. Samson went from one relationship to another, fallen in love very quickly, just going from one woman to the next, one bad relationship to the next. We find that Samson struggled with sexual sin, never actually overcoming it, which would ultimately lead to his destruction. We're going to deal with this sin in Samson's life today, and we're going to talk about this sin and this struggle that he had in his life today. And listen, that's why there's such a heaviness in here today because, again, I believe that God wants to deliver somebody from sin today in your life. I said I believe that God wants to deliver someone today from sin in their life today. The struggle with sin in the life of Samson is what I believe the Holy Ghost wants us to deal with today, and we're going to get there. Samson's sin would ultimately lead him to fall asleep in the lap of Delilah where he was overtaken by the enemy. He was abused, bound, and imprisoned, and stripped of the anointing of God upon his life. This is where some under the sound of my voice may have found yourselves today, and I believe that maybe it's just one, but someone has found themselves in the same situation that Samson found himself in today. Sin has you bound and in prison, and you're unable to feel, fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. But while the Holy Ghost is going to deal with some sin and deal with some things in our life today, and it may get a little uncomfortable over the next few minutes, I just came by to tell you today that Jesus is still in the business of delivering today. Jesus is in the house today, and he stands ready to set you free from sin, to set you free from the bondage that you're in, to get you out of prison and place an anointing upon you that you have never known if you'll let him do so today. But before we get into that, I want to lay just a little bit of groundwork if I can today. The first thing I think that we must understand today is that we must understand that sin is the problem. I said we must understand that sin is the problem. The definition of sin is this, it means to miss the mark, but it's much more than that. Sin is to reject God himself. It is an immoral act or a transgression against God. The end of sin is death. Proverbs 6, 16 and through 19 says, list, list several sins that God hates. You can read that later for the sake of time. And Listen, what we must understand today is that God hates all sin. God does not hate the sinner, but he hates the sin. It's important that we understand today. Listen, I'm trying to paint a picture of you, and I, I don't have the adequate words to, to explain it to you today, and I don't know if really we can truly understand the depths and, and the, the awfulness and the terribleness of, of sin, but I don't have all the words to describe it to you, but I'm trying to, to paint a picture of you of what sin is in your life today. 
We must understand that sin is a robber and a thief, and it will take everything away from you. While nothing will separate us from the love of God, we must know that sin will separate us from the presence of God. Matthew 27 and 46 says this, as Jesus was hanging upon the cross, at the, when he come to the end and he was about ready to die, he, looked, as G, as he said these words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I looked up that word forsaken and I, I dealt with this a little bit yesterday and even asked my wife and, and some others that were at our house yesterday and I asked them this question I, because I wanted to be sure what I was feeling and what, what God was showing me here. And I, said, I asked them, I said, is there ever a time that you believe God will forsake us? And as we begin to look at scripture, we begin, we came to the conclusion of this. Number one, let me explain what forsaken means. The, you know, I like looking up words. In the Greek, what it means is to desert or to leave. In this moment where Jesus was hanging upon the cross about to give his life away, as God the Father looked down at God the Son, he saw all the sin of humanity and God was unable to look upon his own son, unable to deliver him in that moment and, was, and turned his back upon him, forsaking Jesus. Now some have some, just stay with me here for just a moment, but here's what we must understand. If a person continues to reject God, and live in willful sin, there will come a day that God will leave that person and never draw them again. I said if a person continues to reject God and live in willful sin, there will come a day that God will leave that person and never draw them again. I know that's a bold statement, but listen, let me back it up a little bit in Scripture here. In Genesis chapter number 6, you can read and you can find out that God says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. In Romans, the first chapter, you can read and you can find out where because men and women refused to retain God in their knowledge and chased after sin and had no desire to allow God in their life that he turned them over to a reprobate mind. You can find in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10 through 10 through 10 through Chapter number 2, verse 10 through 12, you can find the same thing there, that God quit dealing with individuals because of sin in their life, and he sent them great delusion that they would believe a lie. So there will come a time that if, we, if an individual continues to live in a willful sin and continues to reject God, that God will draw his spirit from them, and he will leave them to not draw them ever again. That's important that we understand that tonight. Listen, I'm not, I'm not come to be uh, uh, to condemn anybody. I've not come to be a prophet of doom this morning. I knew that it was going to be a tough message to preach today, but, but I'm, 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 I'm going to preach what the Lord gave me to preach, amen? I've not come to condemn anybody. Listen, we've all sinned. The Bible says if you say you have no sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. We've all struggled with sin. You can read that in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I'm not standing up here saying that I'm better than anyone and that I'm perfect. Nobody is. I've not come to condemn anybody, but the problem with the church world today and many today is they have, they have, they have put sin in a category where they think it's no big deal anymore. Sin's no big deal anymore. I can, and God knows my heart, and I can live whatever way I want to live because I live under grace, and sin is really not that big of a deal. Listen, I want you to read, flip over to Revelation sometime and read in there. I can't, I can't quote the scripture right now, the, the reference to it, but it says that in that city there shall be nothing that enters in that defiles. There'll be nothing that enters in there that makes a lie. You know what that means? There will be no sin in heaven. That means if I die with unrepentant sin in my life, that I'm going to bust hell wide open. That means if you're not born again when the rapture takes place, you're not going to make it if there's sin inside of your heart and inside of your life. We must understand today that sin is a very big deal. Sin is the deal. 
One commentator put it this way. It was 4,000 years from the time of the fall before Jesus came to purchase our redemption. This is how awful and how terrible and how evil sin is. God spoke the world into existence. Every blade of grass, every tree, every animal, he spoke into existence, and yet he could not speak our redemption into existence. He had to send his only begotten son. I don't know if you heard that or not, but God was able to speak this world into existence. Every single blade of grass, the DNA that is in your body, God was able to speak that into existence. God was able to give you a fingerprint that is different from every other fingerprint in the world, but he was unable to speak our redemption into existence, having to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. Sin is a very big deal. Sin is a very bad thing, and I wish that I had the words to describe it unto you today. Another commentator put it this way. He said, sin is the cause of all war, all suffering, all pain, all sickness, all disease, all hatred, all evil. That's what sin is. You want to know why we're having shootings. You want to know why homosexuality and lesbianism, are, you know, th those in and of themselves are not the problem. The root of the problem is sin. The root of the problem is the evil in men and in the hearts of men and women. Listen, we cannot wink at sin. We cannot think that sin is cute. We must not play around with sin. We must not allow it in our homes. We must not allow it in our lives. You and I must start seeing sin as God sees it, and when we and we must think and feel about sin the way that God feels and thinks about it. And when we get that mindset and when we, when we view sin the way that God views sin, it is in that moment that we will begin to truly hate sin and flee from it at all costs. Sin was Samson's great struggle. It was the struggle of Samson's life. It has been all of our struggle at some point in our lives. We've all struggled with the sin nature that lives on the inside of us. Sin may be the struggle for some of you now, and I believe that because of this word that God has given me to preach that there's somebody. It may just be one person today, but somebody is struggling with the sin in your life today. I, I believe it was confirmed this morning by the message that was given in tongues that it said that the sin that you struggle with to speak to that sin today. But the good news is this. Sin doesn't have to be the struggle for us any longer. I said the good news is that sin doesn't have to be the struggle for us any longer. Let's look at it. Romans chapter number 7. I want to turn there and spend just a few moments today. In Romans chapter number 7, we find Paul the apostle writing to the Roman church. Paul, this great apostle struggling with sin in his life. And for the sake of time, we won't read all this, this entirety of the chapter, but Look at verse number 15, and this is Paul talking about dealing about the sin nature that's in his life. For that which I do, I allow not. What I would do, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members." 
O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? This is Paul talking about dealing with the sin nature that's on the inside of each and every one of us. And it's important to understand today that we have all had this struggle at some point in our life. We all still struggle with this even, even today. Sometimes this sin nature that lives on the inside of us will rear its ugly head and begin to lead us into temptation. And this, this fleshly man will, will desire things. And, and it's in those moments that we must pray and seek God and, not, and realize that we don't have to give in to that sinful nature that's on the inside of us. But we find here in this Romans chapter number 7 as Paul is struggling and he desires to do the right thing and he says those things that I desire to do, the good things that I desire to do, I find that I'm unable to do those things because of this sin nature that's living on the inside of me. The evil things that I don't want to do, those things are the things that I'm doing. And he was struggling with that in his life, struggling with that sin nature in his life. Some of you may be there today and you love God and I, I believe Paul was saved as he was as he was dealing with this and trying to understand what was going on in his life. And let me let me just give you two reasons real quick why I believe Paul was saved, a saved individual as he was as he was telling this about this sin nature inside of him. He he addressed these individuals in, in verse number one as brethren. He's not going to address someone as brethren if they're not saved and not together. But there's there's a desire in Paul as he's writing this to do the right thing and to, to do good things. And listen, when I was in my flesh and an unsaved individual, there was no desire in me to do anything right. The Bible says that if you're, if you're a slave to sin, you're free from righteousness, meaning you don't desire to do anything right. You don't want to do anything right. And you don't care what it is that you do as long as you're fulfilling and feeding that sin nature on the inside of you. So as Paul is writing this, he's a man that is desiring to do the right thing. He wants to do those things that are right and he wants to be pleasing unto God but he has this inward struggle and he finds that he's struggling with these things and he don't know what's going on and he writes this to us as the Holy Ghost gives him the utterance to write these things unto us to show us that listen, although you may be struggling with these things, we must understand that through Jesus Christ and through the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary, there is victory over that nature of sin that lives on the inside of us. It's important to know that, listen, I've heard people say, well, I sin every day. And I listen, I, I'm not saying that I don't go through life and never sin again. There's a fleshly man on the inside of me, and I struggle from time to time. And I've got to repent from time to time. But listen, it's, we must know and we must understand that Jesus defeated sin on the cross of Calvary. Sin does not have to control me anymore. The Bible says that sin has no dominion over me. That means I have the power over sin in my life. I don't have to go around sinning every single day. I don't have to go around making mistakes all the time. If I'll follow the, the Bible, Bible said to make no provision for the flesh, but to follow after the Spirit and that He would lead you. And listen, as you're, if we're following the Spirit, I can promise you that the Spirit of God is not going to lead you into sin. He's not going to lead you into the life of sin. The Bible says it's not God that tempts us. It is, it is our own desire. It's our own, it's our own selfish desire and sinful nature that leads us into temptation to do those things and to sin against God. But the Spirit of God is not going to lead us into sin. And listen, there's power over sin. You don't have to go around sinning every day. Listen, I'm not trying to say that, that, that we can live in sinless perfection between now and the time Jesus comes back. We're probably not going to be able to do that. But we must understand that the potential is there to do so. The potential is there because there is power in the blood of Jesus. He's still able to set free from sin. Amen? 
But Paul here is struggling with, with this sin nature, this, this sin nature inside of, inside of him. I like what he said in verse number 24, and I've preached a message on it one time, a couple of times called the body of this death. Paul likens sin and the sin nature unto a body of death. And when I begin to study that out and look that up, you know, the Romans back in the day, in Paul's day, they were, they were known for, for, for uh, uh, looking up and trying to find the most torturous of punishments and the most cruelest of ways they could punish individuals and criminals and things and, and, and people that have done things. And they come up with some of the most vile and some of the most grotesque things, the crucifixion being one of the worst ways in the world to die to this day. But they'd come up with this punishment, and what would happen is this, this, these, these, this body of death, what would happen if an individual was, I don't know what all crimes that, that, they would, that this punishment would, would be required for, but I do know that as I researched it out, that if an individual was to murder someone, what they would do is take the victim of the murderer, uh, of the murderer and they would put him on the murderer, and they would bind them together. What they would do is take leather straps and dip them things in water, and they would wrap this dead body, this, this individual that this person had murdered, they wrap that dead body to him with these leather with these leather straps and that dead body would be attached to him and you know you know what would happen as that body began to decompose and that body began to, to just go into death it would it would begin to eat away at the, at the life that was in the other individual and that's what Paul is likening sin as as a body of death listen if you're bound by sin today you are bound by a body of death you see sin well as we talked about a moment ago it's not cute and it's not something that we should toy with what we need to understand and what we need to know today is that the end of sin is death. The end of sin is death. Sin's desire is to do nothing but to steal and to kill and destroy you and to cause you to die. That is the end of sin. And this body of death would be attached to that individual and you can just, you can just imagine in your mind and I, I can see it in my mind's eye as he's walking, as this individual is walking around attached to that body of death and it begins to decay and it begins to decompose. You can just imagine that the bugs and all the things begin to eat at the flesh and the life that is in that individual that is carrying around that body of death. It is the same way with sin. If we allow it in our life and we don't repent of it, it begins to eat away at us. It begins to slowly eat away us. It may not necessarily take you all at one point and at one time but sin will begin to eat away at you and it will begin to take the life that is in you and it will begin to turn it into a slow and painful death in your life. That's the end of sin. That's what Paul was talking about here is this in the struggle of Romans chapter number 7. This book of Judges where we read our text from today and I'm going to skip around a few things because I know that we're already running late, but this book of Judges, listen, I, again, I want you to know and understand that I've come today to, I mean, I, I know that God desires to deliver somebody from sin today. And I know that the message so far maybe has been a little bit a little bit down and depressing, but listen, there's good news and we're going to find it here in this book of Judges. If you have never read the book of Judges, let me encourage you to read the book of Judges because it is, in my opinion, one of the greatest books that shows us the long-suffering of God as it pertains to sin and towards his people. It is a book of God. It is a, it is one of the greatest books that shows the grace of God because you read you begin reading in the book of Judges and you'll find that God's people time and time again they would they would they would fall into sin and they would get bound and they would get oppressed and then they would cry out unto God and God would they and they would repent and God would send a judge to deliver them out of the hand of the enemy and it wasn't long before they would find themselves falling in sin again and and making idols and worshiping other gods and going after sexual sin and all these different types of 
things and they would find themselves bound again and, and in, in a, a great struggle again and yet they would cry out unto God yet again and, and again he would come and he would send a judge and he would deliver them today. Listen, I don't know if that excites you to not to think about that but and I'm not saying we need to go around messing up all the time but what I came by to tell you today is that if this is if you're one of these individuals that are struggling with sin today and that have found yourself living in a life of sin and not and you, you love God and want to do good and you can't seem to do those things that, that God's grace has come today the blood of Jesus has come today to set you free from all these things the book of Judges man what a great book it is time and time again the people of Israel falling into sin the condition of Israel at this time, you know, there's, there's two times in the book of Judges where the scripture says that men did what was right in their own eyes. And listen, I know if I'm left to do what I think is right in my own eyes, man, I, I know what kind of individual I would be. I know what kind of person that I, that I was when I didn't know this Jesus, left to do things of my own accord. And we find Israel in that place that men were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. There was no, there was no, servant, uh, there was no service to God. There was no, there was no living by what God had commanded them to live by. They chased after idols. They chased, at, chased after sexual sin and all kinds of things was going on in the nation of Israel. But we see and we find in the book of Judges that even, even in the midst of, of their sin and even in the midst of their struggle that God's grace was still pursuing them and God's grace was still chasing after them. I'm thankful to know that as I think about over my life and the life that I used to live and the sinful life that I used to live, I'm thankful to know that God was pursuing after me in those times. Amen? And today, God, I want you to know that God is pursuing after you as well. But these, these, this book of Judges, the children of Israel would sin, fall into sin, get in captivity, and they would cry out unto God. God would come and send a judge and deliver them over and over and over again. So the good news is this, is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are today in your life. It does, none of those things matter. What matters is are you going to repent today and are you going to call out unto God out of a pure heart? Because if you do that, I can assure you and I can promise you that he's here today to deliver you and set you free from sin. You know the story of Samson, and we read it just a few moments ago, but Samson was a, was a great man of God, used mightily of God, a judge raised up to deliver Israel. There was not a stronger man mentioned in the word of God other than Samson. He struggled with things, as we talked about earlier. He struggled with sin in his life. Most, the most noted sin in his life was the sexual sin that he struggled with, uh, going from one relationship to another. And he found himself laying in the, in the lap of Delilah one day. Fallen in love with a woman that he shouldn't have fallen, fell in love with. And listen, what we must understand today is that Delilah is a shadow and type of the enemy. She's a shadow and type of Satan. And listen, this is, this is her name means temptress. And what we must understand is this, is as we look at this life of Samson and he began to, to, to chase after these women and date this woman named Delilah and could, out, living out in sin, Lord help me today, Jesus. But as he, was, as he was following after this woman, Delilah, and dealing and struggling with this sin that was in his life, and it gives us a picture of what we must do today. And listen, this is, this is what we must do today. We must not play with sin and we must not toy with sin. You know, some people like to live just on the edge and do just what little they can can do to get by with and live just, just close enough to the world that they can still enjoy the things of the world and try to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God at the same time. But as we read this story of Samson, we must understand and we must know and let it wake us up to the fact that you and I can't toy with sin and we can't play with sin because as we read this story of Samson laying there in the lap of Delilah and she begins to call on him and say, listen, I want to know the source of your strength and I want to know how you can be bound. And he begins to, to tell her these 
things and lie. And, you know, it should have, as I was reading this story, it just occurred to me that at the first time that Delilah asked these questions, it should have, it should have sparked something in Samson. And he should have had enough of God in him at that moment to say, wait a minute, why is she asking me this? And he should have recognized that what the enemy was trying to do inside of his life. I believe that's why Paul tells us that we must know and we must understand the tactics and the wiles of the enemy, that when he comes, we're able to stand up against those things. But Samson lied to her the first time, lied to her a second time, and lied to her the third time. And for the sake of time, you know the story today. And at the end, uh, finally, after, after, after the, about the third time, then she, she began to ask him again. And what I, what I found in verse number 16 is this. It came to pass, and we're back in Judges now, 16 and 16. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. The enemy will come and he will, he will, he will vex us or vex our soul unto death. Every day she was pressing Samson. Every day she was trying to find out what the source of his strength. She was relentless in her pursuit of trying to find out what it is that Samson, well, what was the source of his strength and how could he be bound. At some point you would think that this would register with Samson and he would say, wait a minute, something's going on here. Why is this woman trying to find these things out and why is she trying to do this? But you know the story. It didn't register with him and, and finally he, he, after being vexed and torn, Tormented unto her and living in, in that sinful life. He was unable, he'd lost all his strength and unable to, to, to resist anymore and wound up telling her everything in his heart and told her how he could lose his strength. And you know the story. She shaved his head and he was taken into bondage and, and put out, put in prison, his eyes put out and put in prison to work for the Israelites or for the, for the Philistines. And you know the story. But we begin to look at Samson's life at the end. Samson in the prison and, and the enemy's out and they're being merry because now they've, they feel that they've defeated God. They've got God's man and they've got Samson and they've got him in, in prison grinding. His eyes are plucked out and he's, his strength is all gone and he's, he's tormented the Philistines for years and now he has no more strength left to do that and unable to do anything anymore. So they want to bring him out and make sport of him. But we find that as they bring him out here that, that, and they bring him out and they're going to make fun of him that Samson finds uh, one of the jailers that is there and says, let me feel the pillars and, and, and of, of the building that I'm standing in. And we find that at the end of Samson's life he repented. And in the end of that, in that repentance was able to kill more men and more of the Philistines and more of the enemy of God in one single day than he had in, throughout his entire life. So we find that Samson was able to find that place of repentance today, even after all that he'd done, even after, even after all the mess that he had made of his life, even after laying in this lap of Delilah and, and giving in to what the enemy said. Listen, it's important that we understand today that we cannot play around with sin. It's important that we understand that we cannot play around with the enemy. We cannot play around with the enemies of God. Samson found himself, in, and listen, the good news, in the, because listen, well, the, the enemy, all he desires to do is to steal and to kill and destroy. All he desires to do is to take from you, and, to, and, and that's what sin will do. It will take everything from you, and it will take your joy. It will take your happiness. It will take everything, and ultimately it will take your life and your eternal life if you allow it to do so. I don't know where you're at today as, as Seth. I'm going to go ahead and close. If Seth will come, Seth, if you'll wherever you're at, if you'll come. Or Paisley, whoever's doing it. I don't know where you're at today in your life. And I know that I've not painted a, 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 a very good picture of what, of, of how awful and how terrible sin is. 
But listen, we must understand that sin is a is a is a terrible, awful thing. Sin is what will separate us from the presence of God. There's many people that think that they can sin and toy with sin and play with sin and that 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 God will still be a part of their life and God will still God is pleased with them. We must understand that God does not please when there is sin in our life and that he's beckoning beckoning unto us today that if you're living in sin and you're living this life of sin, he's calling unto you today and he desires to deliver you today and to set you free from this sin. Listen, we've all struggled with this thing called sin. We all struggle with it from time to time. And it doesn't matter today if you've messed up. It doesn't matter if you've sinned. It doesn't matter if you're living in that life of sin. What matters today is that Jesus is calling. What matters today is that Jesus is reaching out to you and drawing you even now to come to accept Jesus, to be set free from sin and set free from the bondage that is in your life. We're talking about the lap of Delilah today. And this, for Samson, this is what it represented and this is what it can represent for some of you today. And this, is, this list is not exhaustive, exhaustive. It could mean many things to you today. But to Samson, the lap of Delilah represented a place of temptation. He allowed himself to lay in the lap of Delilah in a place of temptation, a place where he knew that he shouldn't be, a place that he knew where he shouldn't go because he knew what was going to happen if he were to lay in the lap of Delilah. Many of us allow things in our life and participate in things that we know that are temptations to us that we should have no business allowing into our life. This lap of Delilah to Samson represented a place of weakness for him. For he knew that if he were to lay in this woman's lap, he knew that he would give in to the sexual sin that was taking over his life, that had taken over his life, a place of weakness That lap of Delilah represented in his life a place of sin. But it also represented a place of slumber. We find out that she was able to make him sleep on his knees or on her knees in in her lap. And I began to think about that for a moment. And I began to think if I was asleep and somebody began to come and to cut my hair, I'm pretty sure I would wake up. And the Lord just began to deal with me about that, this, this place of lap of Delilah, this place of sin and slumber in his life. And listen, this is a place where the sin in Samson's life clouded his judgment. We must not think that we're stronger than sin, for I have no power over sin. And if I put myself in the lap of Delilah in a place where, 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 where sin and weakness and a place of temptation... I'm going to fall asleep in that lap of Delilah and when the sin comes and the enemy comes and he's taking things out of my life, I'm not going to wake up and realize those things are being taken away from me. Sin will blind you and put you in a place of sleep that you don't even know what the enemy is taking from your life. Samson woke up and he said, I'm going to go out as I did before and I'm going to beat the Philistines. And the Bible said, he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. He woke up and didn't even know that his strength had gone from him. He had just told this woman, if you shave my head, my strength will be gone. He woke up and he had to know his head was shaved, you would think, but didn't even know that his strength was gone in that moment. 
Sin is one of the sin is something. Listen, we cannot toy around with it. We cannot play for. We cannot play with it. Sin is one of those things that if we see it, we should turn tail and run just as fast as we can in the other direction from it. Listen, sin will destroy your family. Sin will destroy your life. Sin will destroy your ministry. This lap of Delilah represented a place in Samson's life, also as a place of compromise. Listen, sometimes we hold a line that is that is that there seems to be so many other people say, well, maybe that, that line is just too hard and it don't take all those things. But if you flip over to Ephesians 4 and 27, it says to neither give place to the devil. It says to need that, that word place there means a little tiny spot. Listen, if you give a little tiny spot to the enemy inside of your life, he's going to lull you to sleep in his lap. And all of a sudden you're going to find yourself in a place of compromise. I wish I had the words to describe to you what sin was today. But we could go around this room even now, and even those of us that have that have that have that are saved and don't live that life of sin any longer, I can look back at, at the trail that sin has left in my life, a trail of destruction and a trail of death. Even now I can see it. Even now I'm reaping the the, the as God's word says, you'll reap what you have sown. Even now I'm reaping some of those things because of the sin that I sowed in my life before I come to know Jesus. I wish I had the words to describe to you what sin was. This lap of Delilah in Samson's life also represented a place where he operated in the flesh rather than in the spirit. You and I must operate in the spirit of God. We must walk in the Spirit and we must live in the Spirit on a daily basis. Monty said it this morning that, that in, in Sunday school class, that daily, daily, we must die. We must die to this self and we must walk after the Spirit because it is that Spirit of God, that Holy Ghost inside of us that will not lead us into sin. He will not lead us into temptation. Samson's life this lap of Delilah, the sin that was in his life, clouded his judgment. And listen, some of you, the enemy has you bound today, has you in prison, has your eyes plucked out that you're not even able to see. But just as Samson in the latter part of his life repented and was able to kill more of God's enemy in one single moment than he had in his entire life, God stands ready today to forgive you. God stands ready today to set you free from the sin that is in your life. Listen, don't think that you're stronger than the sin that is in your life. Don't think that you can still toy with it and play around with it and, and, and things are going to be okay. Samson, the strongest man in the Bible, was unable to do it. And if he's unable to do it, you and I are unable to do it as well. It put him to sleep so much as we've already said that he didn't even know somebody was shaving his head. Didn't even know he had lost his strength. But he should have known these things. Maybe Samson thought that he could stand up to the sin, but because of the great strength that was in his life, but because he remained in that lap of Delilah and didn't get victory, the enemy wore him down until he revealed the source of his strength and told Delilah everything. Today, the message is not one of, of, of defeat. It's not a bad thing. It's not a, I don't want you to leave here feeling depressed and bad.
because God knows all about sin. He knows the destruction of sin and He knows the, the, the things that sin causes today. And because of that, He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. And He shed His blood and He took that beating that He took and He took that crown of thorns and He took the nails in His hands and He took all these things because of His great love for you and I. Because He... He don't want us to look back at our life and see the sin that is there and see the death that it caused and see the things that it stripped from us and took from us. And today, as you stand to your feet all over this building, I don't know where you're at in your life today. But I believe there's somebody in here today under the sound of my voice that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and you're living a life bound in sin. And my friend, today I come by to tell you that if that's you, there's this body of death that is attached to you that will slowly but surely eat the life out of you. That will slowly but surely kill you and take you down a road that you don't want to go down. But Jesus stands ready today. And I just want to give you an opportunity today that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to just step out from where you are and to come and to find a place in this altar today to pray. To come and to find a place and to accept this Jesus as your Savior. To repent of your sin. And what that means is to turn from it and say, God, I don't want to live this way any longer. Maybe today you're saved and you're, you're living for God, and yet you find yourself, as Paul did, a saved man, a saved person, but yet struggling with those things, that sin nature on the inside of him, wanting to do things that are right, wanting to do things that are good and holy and pure and pleasing unto God, yet unable to. God stands ready today to deliver you from that nature of sin that is in your life, it is only through the blood of Jesus where we find that victory over that nature that's inside of us, that human nature. God stands ready today to deliver you from that, to set you free from that. You don't have to go around and struggle with that thing any longer. And if that's you today, I just want to invite you to come and to find a place to pray in these altars. Father, we worship you today, God, and we thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we thank you for Jesus today that God delivers. We thank you for his blood that sets us free.